to Totalus Rankium. This week, Michael Four. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperors to tell us Rankium. I am Jamie. I'm Rob, ranking all of the Roman Emperors from Augustus to Constantine 11, and this is episode 134, Michael IV. And here we are, we're still in lockdown, week, I don't know, 79, something like that? Yeah, you lose, right. you lose track, you lose track you after really a while. You really do. But, but, Jamie and I can see each other. Yay! It's amazing. Look, he's right over there. Hi, Ma- you're above me at the moment. Oh, aye. Right, okay. You're... I've, I I minimized it. You're to my my right, but my visual left. What? That depends. Oh, on it's your... mirrored, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You see yourself mirrored. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fascinating Hi. stuff. So yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're trying something new with the recording, and uh, hopefully this will work, because this is better, being able to see people. So, Romans, Michael Four. Yeah. Uh, so in the last episode, I can do look take, still taking notes. Yeah, yeah, um, taking notes. Uh, last episode was Emperor Norton. <laughs> oh, wrong notebook. Oh, genuinely. <laughs> it's all right. How about recap? <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, well, at the end of the last episode, if you remember, Romanos III died drowning in the baths after a disappointing yep. rain. Sort of. I mean, he was. He was drowned. Well, he was poisoned, and then he was drowned, and then he was let out the baths, oh. and then he just died anyway. And we're unsure if his wife had anything to do with it. Yeah, I mean, she did pop in, take one look at him, and then walk out again. But we'll discuss that later. Uh, because and tutted and said, finish him. Yeah. If you remember, Romanus III's wife is Zoe, who is the daughter of Constantine VIII and niece of the great Basil II. Mm. If you also remember... From a couple of weeks ago, uh, she took a, a bit of a hottie on the side, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, bit yeah. Of, bit of totty. Bit of totty. Hottie totty. This was a man Ooh. named Michael, the man we're doing today. And he becomes the emperor. Weird. How's this happen? How? <laughs> well, we're, we're going to find out. One other thing I am um, hoping you'll recall is that Michael came from a family because he had a very important brother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, his yeah brother, really important brother. His brother was the Lord Chamberlain. Lord Chamberlain, that was yes. it, yeah. He was called John... Uh, John... No, that, that, that will do for now, we'll get into the, yeah. the, the details. So, yeah, John. that's the family we're starting with. We're starting with a family from Paphlagonia, that is... Uh, is Patalag... That sounds wrong. But is it Pat- Patagonia? No, that's in Argentina. <laughs> it's probably not there. <laughs> you carry on. Okay. Um... Where we're talking about is the top middle bit of Anatolia, so modern-day Turkey, like the south coast of the Black Sea. We're sort of there. Not so far away from Argentina, then. Far away from Argentina, but close to Ah. Constantinople. Okay. At least relatively so. Now, this was a region full of rugged mountains, but also fertile valleys, so it was good for defence, but they could also grow things, so quite a population had grown up in the region. Uh, we, good winemaking region. Um, I have no idea. Didn't think to check, but let's say, yeah, they made um, Prosecco. Oh, no, I'm still thinking... <laughs> I'm still thinking of Argentina, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we don't know anything, or at least next to nothing, about the parents of Michael, but it would appear that they were peasants in the region. Ooh. 
That is just a guess, though, really. We know that it's a family of no consequence, shall we say, up until this point, which is a harsh way to be remembered. But, yeah. Uh, there you go. You did nothing. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe Mum was great at juggling and Dad had a really interesting moth collection. Oh, what's that called? It's not a pathologist, is it? Something else. Moth collector. Moth collector, that's it, yes. So yeah, let, let's say that. What we do know about the family, though, is that they have at least five sons and one daughter. You might want to make a note here, because these these people are important. The eldest is John. John is the most important one, apart from Michael. The Lord Chamberlain. The Lord Chamberlain, yes. Um, yeah, so we talked about him a bit last episode. Keep an eye on him. Uh, you might want to imagine him with a pencil-thin moustache. I'm just going to point that out now. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have a, a bit of a twirl at each end. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So you, does he end every sentence? <laughs> uh, he's only a baby at this point, so... Oh. Every, every, yeah, every other sentence he's working up to. Her. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, who knows when he was born? Um, I'm going to guess it will be in the 990s. Uh, making him a, a good chunk older than Michael. <laughs> then at some point, probably as a, a boy to improve his chances, uh, but maybe when he was older, John was castrated and became a eunuch. Do you think he had any choice in that? Uh, probably not. Oh. Because... Oh, that's the whole rock crushing, isn't it? Um, we've moved on from that time period, uh, but probably oh. they're still, probably still crushing, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, then came two more boys, one named Constantine and the other George. George. George, yeah. Uh, they were also castrated. No point taking chances. I mean, hopefully one of the boys will make it as a civil servant and provide for the family. So just keep lopping the balls off, basically. Obviously you don't want the family name to continue. Uh, well, no, it's fine. Because then you have Nikitas, yeah. the fourth boy. Okay. Oh. It's like, we've got three in the bag. Might be able to... <laughs> or, or six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, maybe little Nikitas can, can keep his chaps. Spread his seed. They said o over his little baby body. <laughs> and you could hear him just going... Phew. Yeah. <laughs> and then last of all comes Michael in around the year 1010, which is a fun year to say. Uh, Michael mm. also got to keep the old... The old family jewels. The old family jewels, yeah. Now, as much as this is Michael's episode, and Michael's name is on it, and Sound Guy said his name, we are very much going to be featuring John just as much, and the other brothers are mentioned. So it's very much a family push, this. Now, we know nothing at all about the early life of the boys. We can only speculate how they end up in the capital. Perhaps we can guess that John f went first, because he was the oldest, uh, and managed to open the doors for his brothers, who came afterwards. But again... Pure speculation there. John must have joined the ranks of the civil service, however, uh, probably in a lowly position, and then rose through the ranks. The first we come across, John, he's already one of the Emperor Basil's chief secretaries uh, of the court, in charge of various administrative and fiscal affairs. Uh, in particular, he was in charge of the city's imperial orphanage. Ah, uh, Yeah. In, in a good way, or a kind of a... Well, Kill them, <laughs> well, the uh, the orphanage was um, built back in Constantius II's reign, back in season one. Uh, oh wow! Pretty much as the the city was first put together, uh, as an institution rather than just a building, uh, it's been running for over six hundred years by this point. 
Uh, orphans, as you can imagine, very common in the capital. Uh, many yeah. orphans were adopted by friends of the family, um, but many were not. And those that didn't get adopted or end up in a monastery ended up in the Imperial Orphanage. Now, in the early days, this orphanage was ran by the church, and the person running the orphanage was given the title the Orphanotrophus. Uh, this was sometimes seen as a stepping stone to becoming the patriarch, uh, but this was a few hundred years ago. By the time we're in now, uh, the emperor appoints the Orphanotrophus. It's a, a secular post. It's quite a big I guess it links quite a lot to their religion as well, because it's seen as a giving, caring thing. Yes, yes, definitely. This is why it started oh. off with the church. Then more of a civil service takes over rather than the church. It would appear having such a prominent position in the civil service, uh, being the Orphanotrophus, opened up doors uh, to John, especially doors he could then keep open for his little brothers to come in. <laughs> Do you think he put his like little severed jewels and held the door like a door wedge? Yeah, I think so. I mean, what else are you going to do with them? So, mm. yeah, they used to be squashed. So, oh. yeah. Now, this is the first time we get a hint of what Michael might have been doing. Uh, he seems to have moved to the capital and uh, got a job as a coin changer. Uh, this is basically someone who exchanged um, one currency for another. So, <laughs> yeah. He's working in the post office, doing the money exchange, basically. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I'll trade you this one shiny penny coin for £30,000. Yeah, I'm guessing there was some regulation uh, to stop that. Um, But there is also suspicion, um, a bit of a hint, shall we say, that Michael and his family use this position to counterfeit coins. It's a bit of a rumour, yeah. Uh, But again, we have no idea. This is one small mention. Um, and it's... That explains the, the the family business though, because they came from an agrarian peasant. We can safely say for definite, because it's history. <laughs> um, and they grew coffee. They grew cocoa, not coffee. They grew cocoa, chocolates. Um, so chocolate coins. Yeah, yeah. You're still in Argentina, aren't you? Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, who knows what Michael's getting up to? But probably a low-level job in the civil service. What we do know is that when Basil's brother Constantine VIII dies, Romanos was married to his daughter Zoe and became emperor, as we saw last episode. Romanos III then made John his Lord Chamberlain. Quick side note on the title of Lord Chamberlain here, because I've been using this title quite a bit recently. Just to be clear, titles in the mid-Byzantine Roman Empire were very complex and changed quite a lot. Uh, As far as I can tell, Lord Chamberlain and Chief Eunuch uh, are interchangeable because there doesn't seem to be much difference between the roles. Uh, And I have been referring to both. Just know that when I say Lord Chamberlain, it's basically the right-hand man of the Emperor. A bit like uh, Cummings guy in in our government. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Praetorian Prefect, if we're going back to the start of Series 1, that kind of thing. The the person who's not quite the Emperor, but is the second most powerful person. Someone you want to annoy. Yeah, exactly. Someone who knows where the bodies are buried. So that's now John. He becomes the Lord Chamberlain, and his family's fortunes start to take a turn for the better. Because if John was one thing, it was ambitious. 
Now, John had gained a bit of a reputation by this point, uh, as Celis himself says, and remember, Celis was actually there at the time, so he actually met um, Jum. And I'll quote him, I marked his disposition closely, and I am aware that although some of his deeds are praiseworthy, there are other things in his life which cannot meet with general approval. At that time, there were many sides to his character. He had a ready wit, and if ever a man was shrewd, he was. The piercing glance of his eyes betrayed those qualities. So, uh, not someone you, you want to mess about with. No, seems very stern. Yeah, have you still got that twirly moustache in your head? Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's continue with Celis' description, then. Because apparently John relied on informants to keep him in the loop. Mm-hmm. Although, he didn't always use informants. Uh, he was also active in finding out information himself personally. So again, I'll quote here. Nothing ever escaped his notice, and nobody even so much as tried to elude him, because everyone feared him and trembled his superintendence. For at untimely hours in the night, he would suddenly ride off on his horse and scour every nook and cranny of the metropolis like a flash of lightning. No one would ever know when he would carry out these inspections, and so they all became nervous and subdued and restrained. Ah. Yeah, John would just, in the middle of the night, grab his clipboard, jump on his horse. Inspection time! Oh, no! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, with no warning whatsoever, he'd, he'd just pop up in places... And do an inspection, which is hideous. Is he he the kind of person to on a whim, or is it kind of like, did he have a timetable? Oh, I'm sure he He... had a timetable, but no one else saw it. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. One last quote from Celis, because he he really does go into quite a bit of description about John here. In his cups, he would carefully watch how each of his fellows behaved. Afterwards... As if he had caught them red-handed, he would submit them to questioning and examine what they had said and done in their drunken moments. They came to fear him more, therefore, when he was tipsy than when he was sober. So he'd, um, he'd pretend to drink, listen to the drunken oh. ramblings of his friends, and then use that information the next day, summon them and say, So, as you were saying last night about how you could rule this city better. Ah. Yeah, that kind of thing. That, that's always bad. Yeah, scheming, conniving. But uh, there's also professional accountability as well. Oh, know. yeah, yeah. Don't get drunk, but I, boss. <laughs> I am very much thinking uh, Grand Visor character from Aladdin by this point. Oh, Jafar. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. That's who yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to mess with this guy. Now, as mm. we've seen, when Romanos was away one day, um, possibly fighting in the East... John discovered a plot to usurp the throne by a man named Constantine, working with Zoe's sister Theodora. It's, uh, we did mention last episode, and if you remember, John arranged for the man to have a little accident involving a rope and a neck and the palace walls. <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh, he must have slipped. Oh dear, tragic, very tragic. <laughs> Yeah, John began to essentially run the Empire whilst Romanos was attempting to do whatever he was doing at the time to secure his legacy. Yeah. Uh, if people thought that the Lord Chamberlain was the highest the eunuch could go, however, they did not realise the extent of John's ambition, uh, because he started to plan. Probably had a board and everything. Now, as a eunuch, there was no way he could become the Emperor. That just 
wouldn't be allowed. But there's no reason why he couldn't start a dynasty. Well, um, apart from the obvious two reasons. Uh, <laughs> unless they're holding the door open, so... <laughs> exactly. Well, no, he couldn't start a dynasty as in become the father of someone, but he did have a little brother. Oh. It wouldn't be his son, but it would still be his family. And, nephew? Uh, well, his brother Yeah, <laughs> would have a nephew. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his brother still had all his bits, so uh, there's no reason why his brother... <laughs> Couldn't start a dynasty. Uh, So, now we get back to Michael again. Michael's in his late teens by this point, uh, and he'd grown to be quite a looker, apparently, as I hinted at last episode. Oh, look at his eyes. In fact, I will quote here, He was a finely proportioned young man, with the fair bloom of youth in his face, as fresh as a flower, clear-eyed, and in very truth a red-cheeked. Even in the fullness of manhood and the flower of youth, he had mastered his body. What? He mastered his body. How how often did he master <laughs> his body? Enough that he started to ripple. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Brilliant arm wrestling competitions. Yeah, so not only was he a looker, uh, he was also said to be very charming. Again, I quote, He was ready, moreover, with the witty retort. And his tongue was well equipped to this end, for it lacked monotony, and he spoke fluently with a voice both fine and resonant. Ah, Yeah, so he looked good, he sounded good. He wasn't well educated, obviously, seeing where he came from, but apparently his sharp wits and good looks made up for a lot of this. When debating with people more educated than him, again I quote, the practised expert was overwhelmed by the man's extraordinary natural ability. Yeah. Doing all right, shall we say, Michael? He's, yeah. He turns heads. God's gift. Yeah, John looked at his little brother, and an idea formed in his mind. Romanos and Zoe, if you remember, uh, could not stand each other by this point. They, mm. Even though they were forced into that marriage, uh, romance had not bloomed. But, thought John, what if he just introduced Michael into the royal household? Now, it's not clear what he planned to do to begin with, exactly. Uh, maybe it was all planned out to the fine detail. Uh, maybe it was just a throw Michael in and see. Uh, we've got no idea. Uh, either way, though, Michael was soon introduced to the royal couple. And if we can trust Celis's account of what happened, it happened like this. This youth was led by his brother into the Emperor's presence when he was seated with Zoe, that they might see him. At the express command of Romanos, when the two men came in, being John and Michael, The Emperor, casting him one glance and asking a few brief questions, bade him retire, but stay in the court. The effect of the interview on Zoe, however, was quite different. Her eyes burning with fire, as dazzling as the young man's beauty, she at once fell victim to his charm. (laughs) Now, Zoe apparently was no fan of John, but now approached him often, and would talk about nothing much at all, uh, and then after a bit of polite chit-chat, would inquire about his brother. If the plan had originally been to get Michael close to Romanos, it seems that John saw an opportunity here. Again, according to Celis, Michael didn't know what was going on when he was first ushered in front of the Empress. Uh, But it soon became clear. Remember, (laughs) she's... Get your hand off my leg! (laughs) Well, remember, um, Zoe's approaching 50 at this point, and uh, Michael is late teens, early 20s. Yeah, apparently he did not like the older woman much, but on the pushing of John and Zoe, uh, he soon began an affair with the Empress. Yeah. It was not a secret affair. 
she was very open <laughs> and very obvious about her, her infatuation with Michael. And soon the whole court knew everything. Uh, I guess Romanus didn't care, though, did he? Because he didn't really like her, so... Well, as we mentioned last time, it's, it's debatable. He even knew about it and didn't care. Or he just didn't know about it. Uh, we, yeah. we don't really know. Now, by this time, John's plan to get Michael close to the Emperor himself was also starting to bear fruit. And Michael was uh, given the role of personal assistant to Romanos. One uncomfortable day, Romanos suddenly asked Michael if he was getting to know his wife. Uh, Michael, probably sweating a bit, d- no? no? Where, where do you hear that? No. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Um, and much to his relief, Romanos believed him uh, yeah. and called him, I quote, his most faithful servant, which Michael must have just groaned mm. inside slightly at. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I could end up killed here. This This isn't a game. Now, as mentioned last time, the reason why Romanos believed Michael is possibly because of Michael's illness. Uh, if you remember, he was epileptic. Uh, he would frequently have attacks. In fact, I quote, The Emperor had seen him afflicted by this illness and was sorry for him. He thought the young man unfortunate. His madness, therefore, he did recognise, but he failed to recognise his indulgence in the pleasures of love. <laughs> so, it looks like Michael's getting away with this. Uh, soon afterwards, Romanos suddenly became very ill. We don't know who was poisoning him, even if he was being poisoned, uh, but it's likely he was. He was just enjoying his wife's homemade broth every evening. There's nothing yeah. suspicious about that well, at all. I, there's, there's options. There's options. Yes. There are five options to choose from. Five. I could have wow. gone for more because there's three suspects and you can combine them all. Uh, but I've gone for the five I think most likely. So are we ready? Yep. Who killed Romanos? Option one, I've called this Brothers United. <laughs> John and Michael worked together, figuring that if Romanos died, the lover of Zoe and the Lord Chamberlain would be in a strong position to take over. So they poisoned the Emperor. Okay. Option two, I'm going to call this John the Puppet Master. <laughs> John was the only person in on the plan, figuring that once Romanos was out the way, he, as Lord Chamberlain, would be able to manipulate his younger brother and the Empress to get what he wants. Nice. Option three. I call this one the lover's plot. Zoe oh. and Michael plotted together after a vigorous bout of getting to know each other. Why don't we kill my <laughs> husband? That's a good idea. That kind of thing. Instead of a cigarette, bit of murder. Yeah, exactly. No cigarettes back then. You had to do something afterwards. So, um... <laughs> Yep, that's option three. Uh, Option four, Zoe the Puppet Master. Zoe on her own planned to kill her hated husband so she could put her young lover on the throne but actually rule herself. And then finally, option five, all in it together. Zoe, John and Michael join forces to get rid of Romanos. I I think number five sounds the most likely um, because Zoe's quite ambitious. Yeah. That's been proven. Uh, John is incredibly ambitious as well. And it seems like... It seems like more like John and Zoe were sort of leading it and sort of pulled Michael along. Yeah, it's really hard uh, to get a sense. We do get some clues based on what happened afterwards, but nothing conclusive. And this really could have gone any of these ways, if not other ways. I mean, maybe Romanos just got ill. Who knows? Um, but anyway... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, however it happened, it happened. And Romanos 
didn't die of poison, if you remember. Uh, it obviously <laughs> wasn't working. They got fed up and they hired whoever it was, uh, someone to drown him in the baths. And uh, that did work. Yeah, Romanos dies. Mm. Uh, now, according to Celus, Zoe then attempted to take over the Empire to rule herself, giving perhaps some credence to the idea that it was her behind it. Well, she's the most legitimate as well, isn't she? Well, exactly. Uh, she was the daughter to Constantine VIII. She is the niece to Basil. I mean, she is by far the most legitimate person in the Empire. She just happened to be a woman. And yeah. that holds you back a lot. For instance, the powerful, the ever-present elite of Constantinople, they weren't happy with this idea of a woman being in charge. So they went to Zoe and said, No, I think someone from our rank should be your husband. You can still be the empress. Um, you'll still be in charge, of course, but you need a husband. Obviously, you need a husband. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they were plotting for a gentle coup, essentially. Yeah. Zoe, not happy about this, but also not happy was John, because he realised that if the powerful get someone else on the throne, uh, then that's it. His days are numbered. Uh, his dreams of a dynasty are dead. So, John headed off to see Zoe, and said, and I quote, We shall die if there is any further delay in promoting Michael. Plan is, let's put Michael in charge, and that way the powerful won't be able to put one of their own men in. So, Michael was sent for and dressed as emperor, and a formal ceremony was quickly set up. <laughs> so quickly that the powerful had no idea what was about to happen, or in fact, what happened. Uh, the move shocked them, but there's very little they could do. The public seemed more than happy for this charismatic, good-looking youth to become the emperor. Anything would be better than grumpy old Romanos, who sat next to his building site all day. Yeah. Um, the powerful weren't pleased. Also not pleased was the patriarch. This was a bigger problem. They kind of need the patriarch to marry uh, Michael and Zoe. Uh, but they figured something out. It turned out that the patriarch particularly liked 50 pounds of gold. Uh, but he didn't have oh. 50 pounds of gold at the moment. Uh, oh. But if they were to give him 50 pounds of gold, uh, as a collector's item, of course. Um, yeah, souvenir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the patriarch suddenly realised that actually maybe this marriage is a good idea. Uh, so, <laughs> there you go. Uh, pretty much overnight, Zoe and Michael wed, and Michael becomes the emperor. I like to I like to think that the first time the powerful heard about it is when they received their souvenir plates and cups in the post. <laughs> yes. Who the hell is this? Oh, God, it's the young kid, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, they weren't happy. Do you want to guess what the first thing Michael does? Some sort of celebration? He tries to invade the East. They always like to do that, don't they? No, think closer to home. Think internal politics. Think inside the palace. Oh, John. Oh, no, not John. Zoe. She was put under house arrest. Oh, splendid. She must have been furious. Oh, she was not happy. <laughs> she was really <laughs> not happy. Yeah, she... You son of a slam. Yeah, she was put into one... Remove the balls. <laughs> She was put into one section of the palace, put under guard, for her own safety, of course. She was denied access to the treasury. Um, yeah, she could no longer go anywhere. Yeah, uh, Michael apparently had never liked her. Oh, oh. Yeah, the, the affair was just 
his brother and him had decided this was the best way to get power. Um, so now they got power, they didn't need her anymore. I mean, she needed to well, be alive because well, yeah. she's the niece of Basil, daughter of Constantine. But she didn't need to be near them anymore. So she was just put away. Like you say, she was very unhappy about this, but she didn't put up too much of a fight because she realised she just had no options, really. I mean, what can she no. do? Michael's downfall, if she really pushes against Michael, his downfall would probably equal her own, as the powerful mm. would swoop in and just take everything. As Celis puts it in a spectacularly sexist way, I'll quote, <laughs> She avoided the despicable feminine trait of talkativeness, and there was oh. no emotional outburst. So, um, she is not happy but she's having to make do. So just know mm. that she's fuming in a room somewhere. That's all you need to know about Zoe for pretty much the rest of this episode. So, Michael and John settle into their rule. How much each did is debatable. Uh, Celis and Skylitzes, our two main sources for the uh, time period, give us uh, a very different picture. Uh, Skylitzes claims that Michael was a full-on puppet, didn't care for ruling, and John made all the decisions and ran the Empire. That sounds accurate. In fact, I'll quote Skylitzes here. As the Emperor was afflicted by the demonic desires, and was also too sluggish and indolent to undertake affairs of the state. He had the trappings and name of Emperor, but the entire responsibility for matters both civil and military lay in the hands of John. Celis, however, suggests that Michael may have started off this way, but as he grew older, uh, took more of the reins himself. I mean, he was very young when he started. It took him a while to find his feet. Uh, you can make your decision at the end, uh, as we've gone through the story. Uh, either way, for now, John and Michael wisely decided not to make any big changes uh, to begin with. They're on shaky ground. There are a couple of peasant yeah. boys who have managed to claw their way up to becoming the Emperor and the Lord Chamberlain. Let's not yeah. rock the Don't boat rock too the much. Boat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Then a plague of locusts hit the capital and the nearby area. And you'll probably not be surprised that many start to blame John and Michael for this plague. A story went around of a servant of a bishop who saw a vision of a eunuch dressed in a glowing white robe with three sacks. Now, apparently... This vision, glowing white eunuch, dropped the three sacks on the floor and then opened them one by one. So now we get to play the game, guess what's in the sacks? Aww. Each sack contained at least... This, this is cruel for a, a eunuch. <laughs> well, each sack contained at least three creatures in them. So this sort of spectral vision opened the first sack and inside was... A lion? You've got three guesses. Oh, elephants. Elephants. Locusts. Lions and locusts. No, the first bag contained snakes, vipers, and scorpions. Well, snakes and vipers are the same thing. Yeah, so I, I thought that. Snake. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, uh, scorpions, okay. Yeah, so that was the first sack opened to this uh, servant of a bishop who was just watching this, probably looking at the sack, looking at the glowing white eunuch, and then looking at the mushroom in his hand. Just... <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Not again. Um, <laughs> then, after opening the first sack, the, the, the glowing man opened a second sack. Go on. Three guesses. Animals again? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, they're obviously animals that are looked down on. Rats. No one likes a rat. Some sort of bird, a bat. Rats, bats, and you... wombats. 
I was going to say cats for the obvious rhyme. But oh, yeah. <laughs> one bats works better. No, unfortunately, still no points to you. The, se- oh. the second sack contained toads, asps, and basilisks. Oh, I didn't think we were going made up. Okay. <laughs> that is the only mythical one. Uh, the next oh, right, okay. The next bag, uh, they're all real. What's an asp? A uh, type of snake. It, it was very snake heavy. Oh. Yeah. All right, okay. Yeah. All, right. all right, I'll bear that in mind for the next I one. I would have given you snake. Right, okay. And then sack number three is opened. Snakes? Right. A type of snake? Yeah. Anaconda, why not? Okay. Um, locusts? I think they all appear, because it makes sense. And rats. Beetles, gnats slash flies, and hornets. You were very much in the right area with locusts, but mm. no, unfortunately not. So no points to you, unfortunately. So this is the dawn. This is the beginning and the origin of the beetles. That's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, it's been a hard day's night. The five of them were just, like, tipped onto the soil. This is back when there were five of them. It was, uh, oh. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> then the eunuch, the glowing eunuch, apparently said, and I quote, These came and will come upon you because of the desecration of Romanos and the violation of his marriage bed. And then so I, this is your punishment. I imagine he just sort of dematerialised and, I don't know, three snakes and a scorpion, a toad, a basilisk... John George Ringo and um, Harrison. What? Yeah, John Paul. Oh, John Paul George. Yeah, sorry. Harrison's the fifth one. Ironically, his first name is the same as George Harrison's surname. <laughs> right. Okay. A bit confusing. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Harrison George. So. Oh, it, it gets very confusing. Anyway. Um, yeah, and some hornets all just hung around for a bit, looking confused. Then John took the mushroom from the uh, servant to the bishop and uh, started eating the mushroom. Birth of Sergeant Pepper right there. Yes. Right, so, there you go. That happened, apparently. Omen time. Yay, omen time. Yeah, anyway, uh, that gives you maybe a sense that people were finding any reason to say, hang on, maybe this isn't right. Their popularity wasn't great. Other than the obviously murdered Romanus. I mean, that's that's a big hint, right? Well, no, the public didn't like Romanus, so that didn't damage them too much. It was just... Yeah, it's... It's like you shouldn't have been sleeping behind, with his wife behind his back, but the fact you that can murder him all you want. Yeah, but... yeah, exactly. Don't violate the marriage bed. Um, it's just, it's just not on. Anyway, the brothers John and Michael were probably too busy to listen to the local stories about them, though, because there was trouble in the east. If you remember, Romanos had had a disastrous campaign in the east, uh, but then a general named Maniaches had managed to settle it all. Uh, But things are starting to look a bit shaky once more. So John decided to send one of their brothers to go and rule over Antioch to become the Duke of Antioch. Oh, was it uh, Nikitas? It was Nikitas, yes. Yes. The second youngest, the one with all his bits still. Yeah. A bearded man, as they said back then. Oh, Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, So Nikitas arrived at the city and found the gates shut. (laughs) Hello? Hello? I'm here to rule over you. Hello? (laughs) Yeah, they wouldn't let him in. So, Nikitas did a bit of an investigation, and he discovered that the tax collector in the city had recently been killed after people thought the taxes were too high. The city were worried about repercussions from the new emperor, uh, and then the emperor's brother suddenly showed up. So in a panic, they just shut the gate. 
Fair, fair enough. Yeah. It's like we have literally all killed the tactical. He's hanging right there in bits. <laughs> yeah, and the Emperor's brother's just outside. But it is definitely one of those uh, knee-jerk decision-making processes right. there. Just shut the gate. Shut the gate to the Emperor's Problem brother. Problem solved. Yeah, I, I can't la, see. La, 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 <laughs> la, 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 Exactly. He didn't really know what step two of the plan was. Nikitas, fortunately, however, reassured the city, it's fine, accidents happen, he said. Um, <laughs> let me in, and we'll call it quits. I'm in charge now, fresh start. This was the old administration. So Antioch nervously opened the gates. Just creak it open a little bit. Yeah. Nikitas entered the city, set himself up, and then I quote, paid little or no attention to his oaths. <laughs> Over 100 prominent men in the city were decapitated or impaled. No one wants an impaling. No, because it goes in one, one hole and out of another. It doesn't really matter where it goes, does it? Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> it's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 inside. It doesn't matter where yeah, the entry wound big is. Bit of wood. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Now, while doing this, um, he Nikitas perhaps heard a rumor that the resistance to him entering the city was actually organized by Delesinus. Points to you if you remember who Delesinus is. Wasn't he an ex-general who wanted to be emperor? <laughs> yeah. Not bad, actually. Not bad, considering that was just a, a guess. I, out, yeah. I asked the exact same question last episode. Uh, you guessed he, that he was a Bulgar last episode. Um, no, oh, okay. Delesinus is the man who Constantine VIII wrote to and said, come and marry my daughter Zoe. The old guy! And then changed his mind and sent a letter to Delesinus saying, no, actually, don't bother, go back home. Then last episode we saw him when Romanos suddenly turned up and went, oh, hi, I'm here to attack Aleppo. Uh, you know the area well, so you can do the scouting for me. And then they all got slaughtered. So he's still around. Yeah, uh, whether Delesinos was actually organising resistance against uh, the new emperor or not is debatable. Uh, but it would appear that he'd had enough by this point. I mean, he was almost emperor once, and then who is this young whatever what? Who's this on the throne? I should be on the throne. Um, yeah. So it would appear he wasn't too pleased. Uh, Nikitas wrote to John stating Delesnos was plotting against the crown. So Delesnos was called for and exiled. Uh, Delesnos also had a daughter who had married into the Ducas family, who we have seen before. Um, right. So Constantine Ducas was uh, Delesnos' son-in-law. He objected loudly to his father-in-law being thrown into exile, so he was also thrown in prison. So ju just know that that's going on. Uh, this and some other exiling led to a destabling in the region, and soon afterwards Aleppo, who, if you remember, recently surrendered to the Romans, uh, mm -hmm. threw the Roman official who was checking that they'd kept their terms of surrender out of the city. And then shortly after this, Nikitas dies. And I could not find out how. It's just mentioned that he died. So presumably it wasn't a murder or anything. It was natural causes. But he is quite young still. So who knows? Oh, maybe it's a swarm of hornets. Maybe a swarm of hornets. Um, still, John's got lots of brothers. He's still got three left in play. So let's use one of those. Well, I mean, w would they have the authority being as they're de-balled? Oh, uh, well, don't forget, um, John is himself, and he's the second most That's powerful person in the empire. Fair point. Uh, yeah, yeah, eunuchs could not become the emperor, uh, but that was about the limit of their power. Uh, you got oh, okay. 
Unix could really uh, rise to significant power. So he sends out his uh, one of his brothers, Constantine, this time, to become the next Duke of Antioch. Now, while all this was going on, uh, several raids into the empire also happened. Uh, there was an Arab raid into South Anatolia, and the Pekenics were raiding from the north, and the Serbian cities that were now in the empire started to revolt. Uh, so generally, around the edges, things start to look like they're fraying slightly. Uh, but that said, they were all put down. We've got very few details on this, but apparently they were put down with relative ease. But that wasn't the biggest military adventure on people's mind, because the big military push was going to be Sicily. Now, Sicily was, John had decided, very much not in the Empire. He checked the maps and everything. It was not coloured in purple. And it should be. Isn't Sicily notoriously hard to take? Um, Am I thinking of something else? No, I mean, Sicily's changed hands quite a bit during the, uh, oh. the time of our podcast. Who, Although it, who has, is the, uh... it has got Syracuse on it from our Republican episodes. Is, is that the place with the lasers? That's the place with the, the lasers, robots. yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got wow. Syracuse on it, which uh, during the Punic War was incredibly hard to take. Uh, but as you'll see, it's not quite the same anymore. The lasers have gone rusty. Um, That's a good thing. Yeah. I love the fact that you remember Syracuse as the place with the lasers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this podcast has done to history. <laughs> yeah. I, if, I don't think we can call it a history podcast anymore. Well, um, the <laughs> island was causing problems. Uh, by this time, it was uh, essentially it's its own emirate, and it was raiding into the uh, Roman lands in South Italy quite a lot. So Basil, back when he was emperor, was thinking about going and taking it back just before he died. I think I mentioned that. Might have got cut from the episode. But anyway, Possibly. yeah, the idea was to go and get Sicily back. His brother was less keen because it was Constantine and he didn't really care. Uh, but Romanos had it on his to-do list. As soon as he'd secured his legacy, he was going to go and get Sicily back. Uh, but then he died. So John figured that his brother taking the island would help secure their position. No one's going to try and usurp them if they'd taken Sicily back. So, who are you going to send to Sicily to take back the island? Oh, that guy who won the battle in the east. Yes, Maniakes. That's the their one. best general. Yeah, uh, he was sent for. Come out of the east, he was told. Uh, you're going to go west, you're going to reclaim Sicily for the empire. Huzzah! Huzzah! Uh, don't worry... You don't have to go alone. You can take the elite forces of the Varangian Guard with you. Ooh. Now, we've come across the Varangian Guard a few times before. Uh, they often served as bodyguard to the Emperor, and they were made up of Norsemen, or Varangians, or Vikings, to me and you. Ah, yeah. yes. Uh, if you remember, back in Basil's episode, Basil asked for um, the Rus for help during one of his early civil wars and 6,000 Varangians had shown up and performed really well. Mm. After the Civil War, Basil didn't trust his own men in the city, so he made the Varangian Guard more prominent. It was now seen as the most elite fighting force the Empire had. They just had a crack team of Vikings on standby, basically. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and they also, at this time, had an impressive leader in the Varangian Guard, because this was a man named Harold Sigurdsson. However... Harold goes down in history by the name Harold Hardrada. Oh, Harold Hard. He was one of the claimants to the throne after. This is uh, for William, William the 
Conqueror. This is the Harold Hardrada who will die in Stamford Bridge in the 1066 battle fighting against Harold II of England. This is the Bloody same hell. man. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're getting close to, like, history beginning, because in England, history begins in 1066. You're told that in primary school. Yeah, yeah. this is true. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. That's like yesterday. I know. It's amazing. It's now relatable history. Now is not the time or the place, unfortunately, to go over the fascinating life of Harold Hardrada. Um, but a brief summary for you. Uh, when he was 15, he fought alongside his brother Olaf, to reclaim the Norwegian throne in the Battle of Sickelstad. Olaf was um, the ice, uh, the snowman, wasn't he? Yes, he was frozen. the snowman. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Olaf uh, and the young Harold lost the forces loyal to Canute the Great. Gotta say that name right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canute the Great, as in the King of Norway, Denmark, and England. Want to know more about him? Listen to the Rex Factor episode on him. Mm. Harold, after losing this, then headed to uh, the Kevian Rus for safety and served the Grand Prince there. After becoming a captain of the Rus army, he then headed to Mikkelgard. Uh, Mikkelgard is Constantinople. It's the Norse name for it. So he heads to Constantinople to serve in the Varangian Guard. Now, apparently, uh, according to the sagas, he kept his royal blood hidden in true exiled prince story fashion. But in reality, this seems unlikely, uh, and he was soon a prominent member of the Guard, if not leading it. So he spent a good few years fighting for the Empire in the East and the West. Uh, and then John and Michael decide it's time to get Sicily back. So, the Empire's best general with the mighty Varangian Harold Hardrada. How could, how could they possibly lose? Well, he survives. <laughs> yeah, he does survive. Well, to bolster the troops, uh, because they're not just going to take Roman troops, uh, they pick up a bunch of Lombard troops on the way. Uh, these were the Lombards... If you remember, we saw them last living in Italy because they've moved in. Well, yeah. a bunch of Lombards had settled in South Italy, which was now being uh, ruled by the Byzantine Roman Empire. They were encouraged to join in, shall we say. They weren't necessarily best pleased, but yeah. As a big army was coming through saying, come on, you're coming with us. It was hard to say no. Uh, but still, they needed a few more men, so they decided to hire a group of Norman mercenaries. So a bunch of Normans. Uh -huh. And with all these men, Maniakes heads to Sicily. Uh, it starts very well. He landed in the southern tip of uh, the toe of Italy, and then went over to Sicily and took the city of Messina in the top right-hand corner. Nice. Within a couple of years, he was able to take Syracuse, because like I say, the laser's gone a bit rusty. The... Uh, the big tripods. Like most of them worked, but it's like only two of their legs worked. Oh, oh the big metal grabbing arms. Yeah, the grabby arms very much now resembled the arcade machines. It's like they could pick up the enemy <laughs> soldiers, but they'd always drop them. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately yeah. Syracuse was taken easily enough. Uh, it was not long, in fact, before Maniakes had managed to pretty much take the entire island. Oh. Sicily was back in the Empire. Ooh. For about five minutes, because then uh. things rapidly go downhill, very rapidly. All thanks to Steve. Bloody Steve. Steve the Boatmaker. Did he just make some dodgy boats, or was he like a good Navy captain? Well, he wasn't actually a, a boatmaker. He would seal the boats up by smearing pitch on them. Uh, Celus, not a fan of Steve, 
Stephanius, I should probably say, but Steve, I'm calling him Steve. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Celis, not not a fan at all. Uh, he describes Steve uh, in a much better way than I did. In fact, this is one of the best introductions I've ever come across to a person in history. Go on. And I quote: He came from some absolutely deserted country place, or from some other odd corner of the world. His activities included neither the sowing of crops nor the planting of vineyards. In truth, he could not call a single acre of land his own. There was no herd of cattle to drive, no flock of sheep to tend. He was no farm bailiff. He had no other livelihood there, or even a sign of one. No, the fellow turned his attention to the sea. He had no mind to engage in commerce, or act as a navigator on a ship, or to pilot vessels at a fee when they put into the harbour or sailed out to sea. However, he had become something big in the shipbuilding line. Now, please do not imagine that he cut timber or planed off the wood that they use for ships, nor did he fit or fasten together the planks, not a bit of it. What he did was this. When others had done all the assembling, he very skillfully smeared the assembled parts with pitch. <laughs> Ooh, there's a, there's a level of cattiness there that I've... Two whole paragraphs to. dedicated to say that he sealed ships. <laughs> <laughs> Long list Brilliant. of things he didn't do. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's splendid. And, and I'm only halfway through. I'm not going to quote the rest. Seller spends a further lengthy paragraph just ripping this man apart. But uh, that <laughs> was my favourite part. So, why do we know of Steve? Uh, why does Sellis dislike him so much, do you think? He either sabotaged or was incompetent. Uh, yes. Uh, definitely the second, <laughs> maybe the first. Um, what, oh, what we know of Steve is that he happened to marry someone, and that was the sister of John and Michael. Remember at the start I mentioned that there was one sister, at least? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. we know that because Steve marries her. Oh. When John sent Maniakes west with an army of elite Vikings and mercenary Normans, he put in charge of the fleet his brother-in-law, Steve. Maniakes was not happy about having to babysit this brother-in-law of the new emperor who knew nothing about leading a fleet, uh, but Maniakes was kind of stuck with him. Um, and apparently Steve didn't approach this job humbly. It went to his head. Oh. Uh, he, oh, no. he figured he probably knew what he was doing. Uh, he'd seen a boat or two in his time. He must know how to lead a fleet. The, this, this style, this sort of personality type, is ringing a bell. <laughs> it's like somebody that's not not suited for a job, but gets the job through whatever means, and then just thinks they're the best at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maniakes and Steve fell out often, apparently. Disagreed with how things should go. When the Emir in Africa, where uh, the old Carthage was, launched a counter-attack into Sicily to push the Roman forces back off the island, uh, Maniakes was ready. Maniakes was good. He knew his stuff. He knew this counter-attack was going to happen, so he'd set a plan in motion. Maniakes would fight on the land, push against the, uh, the Caliphate forces, and... Whilst the fighting was going on, Stephen would use the fleet to cut off any retreat back, therefore they would be able to absolutely annihilate the enemy. Maniakes did his part, he won the battle, he pushed back the forces. However, yes. Stephen was unable to stop the Arab forces from retreating. Wrong end of the boat, sir! <laughs> Maniakes was furious, uh, and 
when they met up again, in fact, quoting Skylitzes here, when Stephen came to meet with him, Maniaches assailed him with excessive abuse and, raising his whip, <laughs> dealt him several blows on the head. He called him a lazy, cowardly fellow who had betrayed the Emperor's interests. I think his language is probably a lot more fruity than that. It probably was. Big argument, basically, and Maniaches um, just lays into Steve. In front of all the troops, Steve, humiliated and equally furious, stormed off, whipped out his pen, and wrote a furious letter to his brother-in-law, John. Yeah. Yeah. Maniakes is dangerous, and he is planning to usurp the throne. Oh. John, already a bit bit wary of uh, Maniakes, he's a very popular general, after all, uh, had the general recalled and arrested. Steve was then given full command of taking back Sicily. No. Because he, because I, I imagine when, when he was in control of the Navy, he did sort of out-the-box thinking. He said, right, soldiers, we're thinking out-the-box. Everyone in the in the, everyone in the water. Jump in. Push the boat along. Swim. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was probably like that. The land taken by Maniaches was soon lost. Oh. Yeah, it's like they, they all but had Sicily and just overnight... They, they lose it again. The forces on the island were then taken to deal with an uprising in South Italy where the Lombards were from. So, yeah, they just gave up on Sicily. That's a shame. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, though, the Norman mercenaries who were there, remember they took some Normans with them? Yeah. Yeah, they, they took a good look around the island while they were there. They stroked <laughs> their chins, they did. Nice island, this, they thought. Lovely weather. Yeah, might be back in a few years and take this. Yeah. Uh, so the Romans lose it, but so does the Caliphate. Uh, very soon afterwards, Sicily falls to the Normans. Back in the capital, internal politics were ticking along, as they do. Uh, John was doing most of the ruling, fronted by Michael, who by this time was deteriorating rapidly. Oh? Oh yes, to John's horror, he watched as Michael started to suffer more and more seizures. Uh, a curtain was put up that could be pulled around the Emperor at a moment's notice. The curtain could just be quickly pulled across him if uh, a seizure was coming on so no one would see it. Uh, but they were common knowledge. Uh, you couldn't hide yeah. it. Uh, one day when riding, uh, he had an attack in front of a large group of people. His guard attempted to hold him up on the horse, but they weren't quick enough and he just fell off his horse. Uh, in fact, I quote, nobody attempted to lift him up, but they were full of pity for his misfortune. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it was very clear that Michael was weakening. Uh, and Zoe realised it. Remember, she's still fuming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's about this time that John was almost poisoned. Uh, a young slave approached him one day, saying that he had overheard a plot between Zoe and one of the doctors in the court. Uh, they were going to poison his medicine that he was taking at the time. Ooh. Now, he had no proof, and also Zoe was important, so he couldn't accuse Zoe, but the doctor was exiled. He was got rid yeah. of. Yeah, John realised he's got to act fast here. All his planning would come to nothing if Michael died. What he needed to do was establish a succession plan to establish the dynasty uh, before people realised just how weak him and Michael were. Now, it was no good trying to get Michael a son. He and Zoe now hated each other. Plus, Zoe was too old to have children. Plus, the son would be too young anyway. So, I mean, that's just off the tables. Uh, yep. So John started looking around at other family members they had, and eventually he had a plan, and he approached his brother. 
Cellus uh, has the whole conversation. So you can guarantee this is made up. It's, it's always suspicious when sources actually are quoting full conversations, but uh, we've got one. Um, so John appears in front of Michael and says, Do not imagine, sir, that the people have failed to hear or see with their own eyes that you were afflicted by a disease which is obvious and yet kept secret. I know quite well, of course, that your suffering will have no dreadful effects, uh, but men's tongues constantly spread rumours that you've died. My anxiety, then, is this. Through their belief in your imminent death, they might revolt against you. Now, Michael listened to this, uh, saw that his brother had a point, and asked what the plan was then. John pointed out the obvious choice would have been Nikitas, but he's dead by this point. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> the other two brothers obviously are not eligible. They did, however, have one male relative left. Their father? No. This is the son of their sister. Oh. So the son of Steve. Oh no. <laughs> this yeah. was like a like a splinter from the Jeff family. <laughs> it does. Why not make him Caesar? Apparently John said to Michael. He will be of more, more service to you than before, and as for the position, he'll regard that as merely nominal. Apart from holding the title, he'll be no more than a slave to you, occupying the lowest rank. So let's put him in, just in case, while we think about someone better. He's eligible, but he is he is the son of Steve. But so, he's um, an idiot. Yeah, but still, Michael agreed that this was the best choice they had for now. Uh, it was also decided that Zoe would adopt the boy, uh, no. just to make the succession stronger. It's no longer just... <laughs> will I? <laughs> Uh, yes, was the response to Zoe's will. <laughs> yeah, Zoe just couldn't fight it, so she adopted him. Son of Steve, by the way, his name is Michael. Uh, so, Little Michael, I'll call him. Uh, Little Michael was made Caesar and was now officially Zoe's son. I'm not going to go more into his story this episode, but a teaser here. John soon really regretted this move, <laughs> as his nephew was not as controllable as he thought he would be. Uh, the old puppet master and the young heir soon grew suspicious of each other, and our quote Celis is, again, just a teaser for next episode, both lay in wait for each other, each secretly plotting, but simulating benevolence. Each thought he was deceiving his rival, yet neither was ignorant of the other's designs. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, that sounds quite Diddle fun. Dun, dun. Yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's next week, that is. That's uh, yeah. Michael Five's episode. Because you might want to put a box around Son of Steve. Anyway, back in with this week's Michael, um, because obviously it's his episode. Uh, we don't get much on what is it? Yeah, we don't get much on what Michael gets up to for most of his rule, as you've seen. Uh, I mean, Skyletsis writes him off completely. However, Celis tells us by this point he's really started to rule in his own right. Unfortunately, however, this coincided with his health completely falling apart. In an attempt to cure himself of the seizures he was suffering, uh, he ordered the building of a grand church, which, interestingly, Celis doesn't rip apart as a waste of time like he did with Romanos. Celis spent a good couple of pages describing how much of a waste of time that was for Romanos and how awful the church was. Celis uh, mm. spends about a page with um, with Michael <laughs> talking about how lovely the church was. So oh. maybe it was just a better church. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, uh, it doesn't help though. Building a church doesn't cure epilepsy, uh, unfortunately. But it's no. not just the seizures he's suffering from. He's now suffering from dropsy as well. Uh, he was swollen and in agony. And also, 
quick aside here. First time I've realised that dropsy is a shortening of hydropsy. Hydro meaning being water, swelling of water. Mm. Oh yeah, didn't realise that until literally oh. this, this episode. Anyway, not ice, he's got it, he's in pain. Uh, and then the, Bul- then the Bulgars revolt. Basil, if you remember, uh, after bringing Bulgaria into the empire, had decided to lightly tax the region and let them pay in goods in an attempt to keep tensions down. They're not happy about being dragged into the empire, but light taxes will cheer everyone up. Uh, this seems to have been a very sensible decision, because when John announced that Bulgaria from now on would be paying in cash and the full amount... They just revolt. Okay. <laughs> nope. Yeah. The Bulgars were led by a man apparently named something that roughly translates to treacherous git. <laughs> which nice. is brilliant. I mean, his, his name apparently is uh, Dolianus or Dianius or Dijon. But uh, apparently this word is almost identical to a word meaning treacherous person. Um, so I'm going to call him treacherous git. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, treacherous Git declared himself king of Bulgaria and started raiding into the Roman lands. Uh, to the shock and confusion of the royal court, Michael announced that he would lead the troops against the uprising. But so you can barely sit on a horse. You barely move at this point. And you're inflated. Really, yeah. Uh, John and his other brothers apparently tried to persuade Michael. It's like, seriously, you can't do this. You're struggling to get from one room to the next. There's no way you can go on campaign. Although, uh, if you get stabbed, that might help with the dropsy. Yeah, maybe. Michael was insistent, however. In fact, I'll quote her. It was extremely disappointing, he emphasised at this point, if his reign was not only destined to witness no aggrandizement of the Roman Empire, but actually some loss of territory. He suspected that he was personally responsible before God and man if, after what they had occurred, he should, through any carelessness on his own part, allow the Bulgars to secede with impunity. So... Ah. He, he didn't want to go down in history as, as a rubbish emperor. He didn't want someone in the future to be judging all the emperors one by one, get to him and just go, he did nothing and he lost the Bulgars. Yeah. He's not going to score highly. He realised this. No. He's close to death's door. He's, he wants to win a couple of points before the end. And he dies when? <laughs> well, it took a while. Uh, not his death. <laughs> but in the end, he persuaded those around him most importantly, John, that he could do this. Probably saying something along the lines of, look, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well do something useful with my time. So the troops start to train. And it would appear that Michael had learned from Romanos's mistakes. Celis tells us that sheer numbers were ignored. They had a very large army. Remember, Romanus had put a huge army together. Uh, but mm. instead of just raising all of those troops, Michael uh, inspected the troops and selected only the best ones and then started training those. See, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So he was putting together a good force. Uh, However, then things become more complex, because a man in the royal court named Lucianus was the son son of the old king of Bulgaria. Uh, And upon hearing that someone had proclaimed themselves the king of Bulgaria, Lucianus was not best pleased. Hang on, I'm the king of Bulgaria. I mean, okay, I'm under house arrest in the Roman capital and Bulgaria is now part of the Roman Empire. But if anyone's going to call themselves king of Bulgaria, it should be me, damn it. (laughs) So he dresses himself up as a soldier, he escapes his house arrest, and he travels to Bulgaria. Once there, a lot of people were suspicious by his claim, until he whipped his top off. Wait. 
yeah, or just rolled up his sleeve. Uh, but I'm, I'd like to think he whipped his top off because apparently he had a very hairy birthmark on his elbow. Ugh. Yeah, uh, and he was able to use this to prove to everyone that he was the true heir. Do you think they're just like, stop putting that in my face? Okay, you're the heir, you're the heir, whatever, just get rid of it. You, you can see why like myths and folk tales have like a sword in a stone to see who the true heir is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Real life, which is hairy elbow. Alucianus <laughs> uh, doesn't attempt to just become king. Uh, he realises that that would be a bad idea. Uh, he just says that he's there to help out. Um, so treacherous Git cautiously gives Alucianus a command in the army and tells him to go and siege Thessalonica. However, uh, it turns out Lucianus uh, had spent most of his life like not leading armies and sieging cities, so he wasn't very good at it, and Thessalonica were able to defend themselves, and the Bulgarian forces were defeated quite badly. Treacherous Git hears about this and is not best pleased. In fact, he starts to suspect that Lucianus was actually a traitor. Lucianus himself, upon hearing that Treacherous Git's starting to doubt his loyalty, uh, decides to act first. So he had Treacherous Git arrested, and then, again according to Celus, he used a cook's knife to blind him and then cut off his nose. Uh. Yeah, we've come across a lot of blinding and a lot of nose cutting, but never has it specified that it's a cook's knife, which just really makes oh. it seem worse. I'm just, I'm gonna, yeah, the, the hygiene alone. But apparently, Treacherous Git is then given a command. Of? Yeah. Of what? Well, there, there's a battle coming up, and apparently he was still there commanding, even though he couldn't see. I suspect the sources have got a bit confused. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I do like. Charge, man! <laughs> Not that way, sir. It really wasn't long after either, so I mean, don't. It, it's still weeping blood oh. us from nose and eyes. It's it wouldn't be good. Yeah. Anyway, um, so now we've got on one side uh, Michael, and we've got one side Aluisianus. Michael, by the way, had set off by this point. Uh, the journey almost killed him. Uh, it was feared that he would die at any point. So they, like, he'd go to bed in the evening. People were just holding their breath on whether he'd appear from the tent in the morning. But uh, apparently he did. He'd rise in the morning, get on his horse, uh, much to the admiration of the men. He started to win, win the men round here. Uh, the two sides meet. Michael on his last legs. He could barely do anything. Uh, but he is on his horse. He had 40,000 men under his command including Harold Hardrada, he'd come back, he was joining in as well, so the, the Vikings are there. It's very unclear how this battle goes, as uh, various sources say different things. But in some way, it would appear that those men fighting who were still loyal to treacherous Git were soundly defeated. And Aluisianus had arranged with the Emperor before the battle that he'd be willing to be defeated if he could take up his old life without repercussions. Yeah. So it looks like this was a, uh, a Louisianus led the Bulgars into battle, knowing full well that they were going to lose. So he sold the Bulgars out. No shields, man, it's fine. I think the wrong man was named Treacherous Git. Y yes. <laughs> anyway, Michael wins. There were huge celebrations in the city. But I'll quote her, the entry into the city was a brilliant affair. The whole populace thronged out to meet the emperor. I myself saw him on this occasion, looking as if he was attending a funeral and swaying on his horse. 
The fingers that gripped his bridle were like those of a giant, for each of them were thick and as large as a man's arm, the result of his internal troubles. That's, that's some big, big sausage fingers, that is. <laughs> wow. Jamie is holding up to the camera his finger and his arm there. Uh, so just imagine a finger and an arm. You could use your own if you're listening. Uh, yeah. That's some thick fingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't help but feel this is somewhat uh, exaggeration. Uh, <laughs> but he's not in a good way. No. That's what Celis is trying to say. He's really not in a good way. He dies very shortly afterwards. Oh. Yeah. He, he decides to monk himself. And the day he's monked, he dies leaving the son of Steve the Shipmaker in charge of the Empire. Hmm. So there you go. Wasn't really his episode, was it? Fightius Maximus. Not great, this, uh, but also no. not as bad as perhaps you might initially think. Uh, the East was held at bay, and the Caliphate Raiders were pushed back, as were the Bikenig Raiders from the North. So that fraying around the edges, as I say, it was put down. Uh, the push to get Sicily almost worked, and would have been huge if it had. I mean, after getting Bulgaria and then Odessa in recent times, getting Sicily yes. really would have made it seem like the Empire's glorious days. The Empire's glory days were were returning. Um, but uh, it failed because of Steve. So that's not good. Um, he did manage to put the Bulgar revolt down, and he led it. He was in a battle at the end, leading the battle. A great personal discomfort. Yeah, he's got... He's got probably highly inflated balls yeah yeah so i mean i uh, i'm not going in the ones or the twos here because he's been in more battles than i have and uh, <laughs> the empire didn't shrink it it almost got larger they got sicily for a bit and then they lost it oh yeah, yeah it grew of... yes no it grew for about five minutes yeah yeah exactly so it's not great though is it no three yeah i'm going for three yeah no i'll join you on three okay six Aprovium crazium Nothing. <laughs> no, not really. Um, he's a bit mean. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Throwing um, Zoe under house arrest is a bit bit mean, but yeah, you can kind of see why. Yeah, yeah, he's... Uh, it's not really enough about him as a person, apart from the fact that he was charming, witty, and good-looking. Um, oh, yeah. And then inflated. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think I can give him anything. No, nah, I'm not. Success. Okay, some bits here. Um, he built that church, which apparently was a very nice church. Uh, he mm. also built a hospice for the poor and the homeless of the city. Oh. Yeah, which uh, apparently went down very well. Uh, and also a sanctuary for women who were forced into sex work due to basically the world being awful back then. Um, wow, very modern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently it worked quite well. Celis, using some quite hideous language, talks about swarms of prostitutes. Uh, but apparently lots of them, lots of women, did actually turn up asking for help. Um, oh. <laughs> that might have been the translator. He was from the 60s England, so who knows? It's hard to tell. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, both the hospice for the poor and homeless and the sanctuary for the women, uh, both apparently very successful and helped a lot of people. So... Uh, good. Yeah, that's good. In fact, I'll let Celis, uh, who was there at the time, sum Michael up. For a short period after he became master of the Empire, he treated the governing as some kind of joke. He would put off decisions until some crisis arose or some unexpected turn of events, while he passed the time amusing his wife and in organising pleasures and pastimes for her. Which is interesting, because it definitely says he almost immediately 
put her under house arrest. So there must have been a brief window. Yeah. Honeymoon period. Two weeks, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'll carry on the quote. Once he saw the magnitude of the Empire, however, and recognised the diverse quality of forethought required for its managing and the multitudinous difficulties involved in the cares of state, difficulties with which a man is truly an emperor and must be faced, then his character was suddenly and radically changed. It was as if he had grown into manhood, no longer a boy, and from that moment he governed his empire in a fashion at once more manly and more noble. So... Started a bit of an idiot, ended pretty well, is basically what Sellers says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that said, though, uh, it's not great. He did a couple of good yeah. things. The Empire's certainly not really any worse. You could argue in some ways it's better. So maybe above five, but I can't go any higher than six. To be honest, I think I might just go five. See, I'm I'm tempted to knock off whatever I was going to give to him, Harvard, because... His brother had probably more to do with a lot of this than he did, certainly at the beginning. Um, yeah, that's true. But, I mean, putting down the Bulgars, that was definitely him. Uh, and the... Yeah, but they did that themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm sticking with five. What are you going for? Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for a three. Fair enough. I'm not as convinced. Fair enough. Not often we differ by two points. No. But there you go. That is eight success as Ultimus. Oh, wow. That that coin must be made during the dropsy. Yeah, it's a very round face, isn't it? He looks quite yeah. grumpy as well, and almost like he's in pain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit uh, of a beard. But again, like we saw last time, that's a good detailed coin. These are good yeah. coins in this period. Um, yeah. Got nice detail in the beard. Looks like he's, I... he's asleep. Is he dead? He might be dead. He looks a bit dead, I'll be he honest. He looks a bit dead, doesn't he? Is that a hand trying to seal his crown at the top? <laughs> oh, that is totally John, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely someone stealing his crown. Um, or the little puppet hand master, little puppet master hand. If you're listening, uh, go to Michael Four's Wikipedia page. It's the coin that's on there. And, uh, yeah, you will see a little hand trying to steal his crown. Um, for that, right, I like the detail, <laughs> and I love the fact there's a little hand stealing his crown. I'm, I'm going seven. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed by this. I'm going to match you with this seven. Fourteen. Three and a half. Three and a half, yes. Three and a half. Temple completed. Okay, so how long do you last? I think probably longer than I'm thinking. I'm thinking around... See, I, I haven't looked at the bit. I, I did skip past it, so I wouldn't be tempted to look. Um, I'm guessing over five years, but I can't put a number on. Eight years, nine years, 12 years, 10 49 years. 1034 to 1041. And it's seven years. Oh, OK. Yeah. Which gives him a score of 0 0.88. So that gives him a total score of... Are you working it out or are you waiting up for me? I was waiting for you. Oh, I was waiting for you. <laughs> 14, 17 and a half. Ah, oh, 18.38. Yes. So that gives him a total score of 18.38. Not great. Woo. No. no. Not brilliant for Michael. Um, I was hoping for better. Must be said. I was as well. Uh, but we've got something to discuss. We have. Do they have a certain Better than the Romanos. Yeah, I mean, he went to battle with Dropsy. He was yeah, that's literally impressive. inflated. You get the impression that there was potential there. Um, but unfortunately, 
it just didn't happen. Too little, too late. Yeah. So, uh, no. It's a no from me. Um, yeah, I'm not, not doing it. Okay, so that is Michael 4. Next up, Michael 5. <laughs> Son of Steve. Son of a Steve. He's also known as Michael 5, the ship corker. <laughs> really? Yeah, or just the corker. Uh, yeah, so. Wonderful. Yeah, so that's next time. We'll see how uh, he does. High hopes for Michael 5? I think it'd be entertaining. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens to him. <laughs> that I said, see what happens to him doesn't bode well, does it? No. Uh, <laughs> Right, well, gets th- caught into his own boat. Well, thank you very much for listening this week. Uh, Don't forget you can download us on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Yes, you can. Thank you very much for all the reviews. Uh, Make sure you're staying safe as well, staying inside, not going out unless it's absolutely necessary. Don't be stupid. Don't go for a barbecue in the park. <laughs> no, definitely don't do that. Good advice there, Jamie. I liked it. It's good. Thank you. Right, okay. All that needs to be said then is... I'm inflating! Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Brother-in-law. Hey, John, how are you? Stefania, do come and sit down. Oh, John, 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 call me Steve. Steve, Steve, come and sit down. Oh, thank you. How's my sister? Oh, she's very good. I mean, oh, very, very good. Steve. Yes. It's my sister. I'm just saying how good she is. Right, we'll we'll move on from this, shall we? Um, Anyway, it's a mere formality, you being here. Of course, please do sit down. Okay. Steve, Steve, are you okay? I think so. Oh. Right. Oh. Okay, well, do you want to try that again? Okay. Oh, this time I'll grip onto the chair and load myself onto that, it. That's a good idea, yes. Right, anyway. There we um, go. Great. Did it, did it in two. Um, so, as I say, uh, a mere formality. Obviously, you're going to be leading the fleet. Just just need to check a couple of things. Uh, you know how it is. Red tape. I may be the Lord of Chamberlain, course. but of I can't course. just wave oh, a wand. And So, just check a couple of things. I mean, obviously, you have experience in boats, don't you? Absolutely. Oh, I love boats. Boats, boats, boats. Right, so boats. H- how many... Um... They're made from wood. Y- yeah. Yes, they are, Steve. Um... It, it's been a while since we've talked, hasn't it? Now I think about it, I was actually quite drunk, wasn't I? When we had that one conversation we've ever had. A firkin of ale you'd had. <laughs> anyway, I seem to remember you saying you knew how to command a fleet. Yeah, yeah. It's, I assume it's the same as corking a boat. Oh, right. I, interesting. Um, please, please uh, explain this analogy of yours. Well, you... you get a brush, you put it in a tub, you, you then put the cork in Yes, Steve, the... you're now just describing how to cork a boat. And then when you do, you've got to make sure it's dry before yeah, you do a second you're, coat. Yeah, you're still doing it, Steve. How is this leading a fleet? Oh, leading a fleet? Well, well, you know, a one plus one is two. Steve, you don't know how to lead a fleet, do you? No, but I can cork a boat. Right, well, the fleet leaves in two hours, so, um... Good luck. Boats! <laughs>